Well, the Zags and the Tar Heels have had plenty of intense matchups over the past couple of decades, and while they didn't meet last year, they head into the 22-23 season as two of the presumed national title favorites. Here to discuss these two programs is Locked On Tar Heels host Isaac Shade in a crossover episode. Don't go away. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Isaac Shade, the host of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast. We're talking college hoops. We're talking two of the biggest programs in college basketball right now. So excited to get a chance to talk to another host. All about college hoops. Isaac, thanks for taking yes. the time, man. Yes, Andy, it's so good to get to do this. Yep. Talking Zags and Tar Heels. I was thinking about it uh, earlier today, man. I mean, these two teams have been, uh, they make up between them. One of the two has been in three of the last five national championship games. It's ridiculous. Absolutely wild, too. I mean, two of the bluest blood programs. I know people like to debate whether Gonzaga counts because it's only been, I guess, 22 years isn't long enough for people in some instances. <laughs> uh, obviously, they haven't won that big one yet. That's a big uh, hurdle. Uh, we're gonna get, it'll happen. I think so. As long as we keep, stop running into you guys like we did in 2017, <laughs> that was uh, a challenging one. I think uh, I, I'm afraid to say his name. It's kind of Voldemort-esque to say Kennedy Meeks' name uh, amongst the Gonzaga faithful. I figured he'd probably come up at least once today, though. But yeah, yeah that was... That was a tough game there, but obviously a chance for, for two of the best programs to get well, a chance to go at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the the refs fouling out Mr. Zach might have had a little bit to do with that. <laughs> that was a tough one. You know, it's funny because yeah. uh, Gonzaga's, the two of their seasons have now ended effectively with star freshman big men fouling out in critical moments. And obviously uh, Zach Collins was the big one back then. And then this year, Chet Holmgren fouling out against uh, the Jalen Williams, Arkansas led team uh, was, was very tough uh, for them to, to stomach because sometimes that's all it takes. You know, that's what can derail a season is something like that. And it was really unfortunate for the Zags, yeah. but uh, obviously really put uh, you guys in a really good spot, obviously to, <laughs> to make the run that you made. And that's kind of what I wanted to start with talking to you, Isaac, about, uh, first year under coach Hubert Davis, uh, obviously yeah. Roy Williams has been a staple of college basketball for decades and decades. And then all that happens in the first year is a second place finish in a, maybe a down year for the ACC, although the tournament may have disproved how down of a year it was. But to go through, run through Marquette, run through Baylor, number one seed in that in that um, side of the region there, and then to beat UCLA to blow out the Peacocks. <laughs> of St. Peter's, uh, you know, the, everybody's favorite team to to beat them by a pretty good margin there. And then yeah. to follow that up by ending Coach K's career. I mean, what an incredible run through the NCAA tournament for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, the Zags, it's been a long time since the Zags were kind of a Cinderella like that. Uh, it's kind of their staple, but they haven't done it in a while. What was it like to see a program like North Carolina that's not usually making runs as an underseed? What was it kind of like to see that experience uh, play out this year? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Andy, because it feels like typically um, for both of these programs, like you've just said, they are, you know, a top four seed in, in mm -hmm. whatever region they're in. And so to be an eight seed and have that kind of like there's not 
I think the unexpected of it is what made it yeah. so fun because usually there is this pressure and expectation when you're a higher seed. But mm-hmm. with this, it's like, man, this team's been peaking for about a month. Yeah. <laughs> like the pieces are coming together. We got this mm-hmm. iron five is something cooking. And then just the way, like I, I had the blessing and opportunity to sit courtside for that Marquette game. Yeah. Uh, they're on press row and just, from I, I mean it was a race from the yeah. get-go they were blitzing uh Marquette and it was like okay this isn't just an ACC thing that's happened the last couple of weeks this mm-hmm. this fivesome has something uh some of the backups are developing a little bit and then so each game there was that anticipation of like is the magic going to happen again and yeah. it just kept happening for five and a half games we'll yeah. say um <laughs> And then at that point in the national championship game, there was just a little bit too much attrition, uh, too many injuries, and uh, just couldn't overcome it. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it, it feels like you just need to peak at the right time. Like like so much of, of determining like which teams do well in the tournament, people try to look at a, a ton of factors. They look at conference schedule, which is often used against Gonzaga. They look at uh, the style <laughs> of play. They, they look at a whole bunch of things, but ultimately – which team is hot when they get into the yeah. NCAA tournament seems yeah. to carry more weight than almost anything else. Gonzaga wasn't playing particularly well when they got into the tournament last year. Now they rebounded, uh, managed to obviously put away Georgia State. Drew Timmy went absolutely ham in the second half against Memphis for them to win that game, but they never played yeah. particularly well. Whereas you look at you know a team like North Carolina, or you look at some of the others, obviously St. Peter's is a, a very unique example because teams sure. rarely do what they did but sure you just have to peak at the right time i don't know how you right. coach a team to do that i think that that's an incredible challenge but certainly you watch this north carolina team i watched them early in the season i watched some of their early acc games they look like <laughs> a different team and i think there's a lot of credit to to coach davis for, for the adjustments that they made throughout the season to kind of get where they were at the end of the year absolutely yeah there's there are several factors that all kind of came together with Carolina for that this year. As you said, the first year coach in Hubert Davis, I think just about any year now in this NIL era, in mm-hmm. the transfer portal era with the one-time transfer waiver, I think a lot of teams in, in any sport in college athletics are going to be trying to find their way as the season goes along because you are bringing in transfers. You are starting new groups together. And, and then in Carolina's case, you add in a brand new head coach who's never been a head coach at any level other than JV Carolina team. And like it just takes a while to gel and to find an identity both mm-hmm. as a team and as a coaching staff. And uh, it just kind of all dovetailed and came together there in mid to late February, finally. Yeah, it was. It's it's so critical to have the team come together at the right time. And now we're looking at a team that continuity is such an interesting thing in college basketball these <laughs> days because of the transfer portal, because of the NIL rules, just because the game has changed so much that you don't have to necessarily develop all of your players right. through through your program. You can pick pieces in different ways, and and certainly. Uh, the national championship game last year, I think, had notably two really strong transfers. So it wasn't a huge transfer-heavy championship game with Brady Manek, of course, and then with Remy Martin for Kansas was kind of the right. other big one. Right. Uh, but now you're looking at a team in North Carolina that's returning most of their pieces. Obviously, Manek is a big loss, but you're, you got Caleb Love back. You got Leaky Black coming back. Obviously, Armando Baycott is a huge, huge piece to return to the yeah. program. Uh, and and obviously, this is very similar to Gonzaga. I think this is one of the biggest similarities these two programs have had this offseason is some uncertainty about how many of these guys are going to come back. Now, 
right. North Carolina's players decided to go much, much easier on the fan base, and they pretty much all made <laughs> their decisions very, very early, whereas Gonzaga's three uh, all made their decisions within the last 48 hours. But sure. what was it kind of like to see a team not only make a run that deep into the tournament, but then turn around and return, with with the exception of Manek, of course, a huge chunk of, sure. of that, that roster? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think not only is it helpful for the fan base, but it's huge for the coaching staff because roster management, my goodness, is yeah. one of it's in I can't imagine uh, having to try to put all that together in this day and age. And so very helpful for Hubert Davis and the, and the coaching staff to know, OK, yes, we are losing Brady Manick. That mm -hmm. that's a given. But you know it, right? It's not mm -hmm. waiting on him to make a decision. He doesn't have an option. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, um, with these with these Carolina prospects, uh, Leaky Black doesn't really have um, NBA prospects right now. Yeah, Could yeah. um, RJ Davis, our, the starting point guard, mm -hmm. um, has the talent, but he's undersized at six foot, yeah. nothing. And um, so there, it was kind of a no brainer there. And then the two questions were Caleb Love and Armando Baycott. Yeah. And then pretty quickly, Baycott, yeah, was the first one to say, mm -hmm. "I'm in. Let's do it." And then um, love as well a little bit later. And so uh, that does provide peace of mind. And I think it, it's also a win in the transfer portal because when transfers see, hey, the, they're four of the starting five from this yep. national championship team are coming back. I want to go be part of that. The funny thing for the Tar Heels is that they've only got one scholarship available. We're still waiting to see who that is. Although yep. by the time this comes out in full transparency, we might already know. Um, but one thing that the Carolina fan base is really undervaluing, I think, is just how much Brady Manick meant and yep. did. Because to be that um, compliment to Armando Baycott, who's more of a true center, just like Drew Timmy for, for Gonzaga yeah. folks listening and watching, right? Like he can mm -hmm. and has been working on stepping out from outside, but that's not what he is best at. It's Drew Timmy, Oscar Shibuya, Armando Baycott. They're all the same yeah. dude, you know, double-double mm -hmm. just about every night. And then yep. Manic, yeah, he's 6'10 and can bang inside. He's the small ball five. But mm -hmm. my goodness, uh, <laughs> like the amount of threes he can hit um, yeah. and the way he can spread the floor is huge. So Carolina doesn't have that on the roster. And so they really, really need to find that from either someone stepping up and doing something new or in mm -hmm. the transfer portal. Yeah. And, and again, we're, so we're recording this a few days before it's actually going to come out. So by the time this comes out, Maybe Carolina fans will know if Pete Nance is going to be the next piece for this program. I know that they were interested in Matthew Meyer out of Baylor as well right. before he ended up going to Illinois. Uh, it's kind of nice for a team to just be locking in on like, this is the type of dude we're looking for. We need Brady Manick. Like we need to find another guy. It's not easy to replace him, but at least you kind of know what style of player you're looking for. Uh, again, by the time folks are listening to this, Pete Nance might already be a Tar Heel. He might be right. going somewhere else, but uh, at this point, how critical of an addition would he be to this program? Personally, I think he's hugely critical. There, yeah. It's funny. The, it feels like um, the fan base is completely divided. Uh, a lot of people think, man, we're good. Let's not mess with chemistry. Like you, mm -hmm. for example, Dawson Garcia last year, yeah. phenomenally talented player transfers in mm -hmm. and just didn't, didn't mesh with everybody right. the same way Brady Manick did. And so uh, there, there is a big contingent that says, hey, we got a great thing going. Uh, Puff Johnson, who is Cam Johnson's little brother, could step in. Um, he had a great national championship. Um, finally is having a healthy offseason. He's been hurt his other two offseasons. But he's a little bit undersized, 
hasn't yet shown, uh, I mean, you know, it was more of a three than a four. And what Carolina really needs is this stretch four. Like you said, they're, they're dialed in on what they need, either a stretch four, or honestly, there's no true backup for Armando Baycott at this point. And so you got another ankle situation like the national championship game. Right. And you're kind of up a creek without a paddle at that point. And so... Uh, you got the other half of the fan base who's like, give me all the Pete Nance I can get. Um, and so he's in Chapel Hill as we record this. Um, people have been sending me like covert pictures all weekend of like him and the coaching staff and the players eating at restaurants. And so um, while he like a lot of people's critique of like, don't bring him in is, hey, listen, he's not athletic. He can't really necessarily be the four. Brady Manick? You kidding me? Like his defense <laughs> is his biggest weakness too. And so um, while while Pete Nance might not be the most laterally quick guy, I think he is going to be able to guard in space. He certainly is a three point threat. Again, not to the level that Brady Manick is, but would bring some other things that Brady Manick didn't bring. And so you know, there's a little pro and con with either one. But hear me say, there is no replacement out there for Brady Manick. And so Carolina's going to have a lot to prove at that four spot. That is the big question mark for this season. Absolutely. Well, Isaac, thank you so much. I love getting this information on the Tar Heels. We're going to come back in the second segment, and we are going to let you have the opportunity yes. to ask me some questions about Gonzaga. A very, very exciting offseason for the Zags. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Built Bar. You know how our friends at Built are always coming out with amazing new flavors. Well, this time, Built has truly outdone themselves with their new mud, mud pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is introducing the new mud pie, fla mud pie flavor <laughs> in both mud pie bar and mud pie puff. Not sure what mud pie tastes like? Well, if you're a chocolate fan, you'd better sit down for this. The new mud pie bar is rich whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate and topped with cookies and cream crumble. And you need to hurry because the Mud Pie Bar and Mud Pie Puff are only available for a limited time. Visit Built.com to taste the deliciousness for yourself. And if you're not convinced, luckily we save the best for last. It is actually good for you. No, really. All Built products are low calories, high protein, and low sugar. Mud Pie is packed with 16 grams of protein and only 150 calories and 8 grams of sugar. It's like your mom baked the most deliciously creamy chocolate Mud Pie and wrapped it up just for you. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Now stop drooling and get to Built.com now to order your box of mud pie bars and puffs now. You won't regret it. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still crossing it over with Isaac Shade of the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. And now yes. he has an opportunity to talk to me about the Zags. Isaac, love to hear your thoughts and questions. Man, yes, Andy, I love talking about the Zags. I have been a big Gonzaga Bulldogs fan for a long time. I've got family that's from Spokane, and so I've been on the on the Mark Few train for a long time, so I love our connection yeah. uh, there. And so my first question is, what, like, I here's what I don't get. Earlier, you talked about one of the dings that Gonzaga often gets is the conference, uh, yep. the strength of the West Coast Conference. There's always, I mean, it's Gonzaga, and then there's always one or two, you know, like St. Mary's or Portland mm -hmm. or whomever will have a strong year. Yeah. But 
why all the Gonzaga hate? Why the disrespect? To me, it seems inevitable that this mm -hmm. national championship is going to happen at some mm -hmm. point. It's not a question of if, it's mm -hmm. when. You see the way that Mark Few schedules ridiculous non-conference yeah. schedules, doing everything he can to make up for the non-con or for the conference schedule. Mm -hmm. Why all the Gonzaga hate? Yeah, you know, it's funny that uh, Gary Parrish from CBS, a uh, very respected college basketball analyst, he yep. was on uh, he was on a segment of my podcast in an interview he did with KREM's Brenna Green out here in Spokane. And he kind of talked about basically it's misinformation. Uh, it's kind of it's carrying this old this old belief system about Gonzaga that's frankly inaccurate currently. Mm -hmm. Like there are, I always, I've kind of always described it this way. And I'm fortunate that Ken Pomeroy, uh, the great Ken Pomeroy wrote an article for a Utah based website, kind of basically making this same point that there are two Gonzagas. There is the Gonzaga from 2000. I mean, there's three Gonzagas really. There's everything before Mark few, which sure. is, <laughs> which is John Stockton and kind of nothing. Um, then there's the, the first 15 or so years of Mark Few's tenure as the head coach, 2000 to 2015, uh, with the exception of the 2012-2013 team, which was my senior year at Gonzaga and the first year that they were ever ranked number one. And while they were a deserving number one seed that year, it was kind of because nobody else was particularly good. Like it, that was the year that Gonzaga probably wouldn't normally be the number one overall seed. They, of course, fell to Wichita State in the second round as a nine seed there, something that North Carolina fans are familiar with um, from this past season. But I think Gonzaga turned a corner when they had Zach Collins, the first five-star kid ever the year that they went to that national championship game against North Carolina. And since then, this has not been the same program. This is not a program that only makes the tournament because they beat the other teams in the WCC. This is not a team that, free, you know, the, the, the first 15 years there, they were mostly between seven seeds, 10 seeds, 11 seeds a lot of the time. Like this was not a team that was frequently a top three seed. This was not a team that was a number one seed ever outside of that one year. So people like to think about Gonzaga as this team that is always a number one seed and always loses early in March. And neither of those things are true. Neither of them are true. They are not always a number one seed. They have been a lot lately, but it is hard to argue that they haven't deserved that. And they haven't lost early in the tournament very often. They have been to the Sweet 16 seven consecutive seasons. Not a lot of teams have done that. I'm not no. sure if anybody has done that. It has been a very long time since somebody has done that. And yeah, they've made multiple elite eights, a couple runs to the final four. They, it took an incredible shot from Jalen Suggs for them to make their second oh, national championship man. game. But at the end of the day, they did it. They won that game. Every team that's made it to the national championship game has had a little bit of luck yeah. at some point in that run. It's just how it goes. And I think for Gonzaga, it's easy to point to the conference. It's easy to say, well, I've never heard of Santa Clara being good at basketball, even though they have people. It's easy to just say, I, you know, that's that's not that Alabama. That's not them having to play Auburn or even like Wake Forest or some of the other yeah. even like Rutgers. Like it's not that it's teams that are smaller schools, schools that people haven't heard of. I think there's a West Coast bias that exists Absolutely. for a lot of people who watch college basketball. People don't stay up late to watch St. Mary's play San Francisco. But if you did. If you watched that game, you would see really, really good basketball teams going at each other. And I understand why it's difficult to watch all those games for people on the East Coast. But it contributes to this belief that, hey, I didn't start tuning into college basketball until February. Gonzaga beat every team they played in February and then lost the game in March. So they must be overrated, which is just it's just not true. Yeah.
Well, and, and now with everything Gonzaga has coming back, plus some of the transfers who we're going to talk about in a second, mm -hmm. it's Gonzaga and Carolina for most people, one yeah. and two in the nation. And so I, I feel like I just hear a lot of people say, oh, here we go again, Gonzaga mm -hmm. preseason number yeah. one. But just the fact that that's a thing is awesome and yeah. crazy. Um, but here's the thing for me. Every coach has to go through this until they finally win it. So yeah. Roy Williams, you talked about him earlier, for example. Mm -hmm. He had had multiple shots at winning a national championship, but hadn't yeah. got that monkey off his back until 2005. Mm -hmm. And then it happens. And now, you know, he has a completely different national narrative. Yep. And I, to me, it's just completely unfair, mm -hmm. this the, the narrative that Mark Few gets. And so yeah. I really want to see Gonzaga win this national championship mm -hmm. so that Mark Few and the program can get the respect that they rightfully deserve. Do you think that's this year? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that they could do it this year. I think it, the narrative thing is so funny because it was it existed with Jay Wright. It existed with so many. I mean, yes. how, I don't know how many times Coach K went. I think it was four times that he went to a title game yep. before he yep. won one as well. Yep. Like, it's not Absolutely. easy to do that. Uh, for the Zags this year, I think that they have one fairly glaring weakness. This team is built very similarly to the 2020-2021 team, the team you know, with the aforementioned Jalen Sugg shot, the team that went into the national championship game entirely undefeated, had defeated teams like Kansas and Virginia and Iowa in the regular season, ran through the NCAA tournament, and then ran into an absolute buzzsaw that was that Baylor team with Man. Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, ridiculously talented <laughs> program. Uh, but what Gonzaga struggled with in that game particularly, uh, they struggled against the big physical guards, which frankly yep. those guards are there's it's very rare that teams have that many talented guards I mean, two of those guys are in the nba one of those guys was in the nfl like how are you going to compete when you have guards that look like that yeah. uh but gonzaga's big weakness this year frankly is rim protection mm. uh, when you when you lose a chet holmgren type player i mean there are uh, chet holmgren type players don't really exist he's incredibly unique there's a reason he's been called a unicorn but now you're looking at this roster they add efton reed out of lsu very talented kid and he's a good switchable big but he's not a great rim protector Drew Timmy, he's not going to magically get better as a rim protector. He might be okay <laughs> at it. He's he's not as bad as some people That's, think he is. He's very bad defensively away from the rim. That is an area of, of tremendous weakness for him. For sure. Uh, but he, rim protector, he's okay. Anton Watson, great defensive big, not a rim protector. He's more of a trapper, more of a guy right. who plays away from the rim. So. That's an and area six eight, the, right? Like he's like yeah, kind of yeah, a little he, undersized for rim protection. Yeah, yeah, maybe listed six nine, but probably <laughs> with some thick shoes on, kind of deal. So, yeah, the Zags don't have rim protection. That's an area that I, I mean, you look at some of their games last year. How much Chet? He may not have even showed up in the box score. I, I reference the Texas game so frequently on this podcast, but it's because mm. one of my favorite stats came out of that game, which was that Texas guards or Texas players took fifty six percent of their shots at the rim when Chet Holmgren was on the bench that number was 15 percent when he was in the game this was his second game in college and that was the kind of impact he was having yeah. against a good team in Texas so to lose that teams are going to challenge Gonzaga more at the rim teams that are good at, at finishing around the rim are going to have some success in that regard and I think that in, unless they find a way to adjust for that, which I'm not sure what it is, maybe one of the young bigs who isn't expected to play, Caden Perry is the kind of the name there. He was a very good shot blocker in high school, but he's had some serious back injuries. So there's not 
even a lot of sense that he's going to be a rotation player this year if he's healthy yeah. at all. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the one thing. If they can figure out a way to shore that up or just get fortunate and don't run into teams that finish through contact at the rim particularly yeah. well, uh, they have a pretty good chance. I think they're going to be one of the best, if not yeah. the best, offensive team in the country. It's just on wow. the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, and that rotation is going to be very tough to break through this year. Gonzaga is loaded once again. One of yeah. the big things we all know about college basketball is how important guard play is to win a national mm -hmm. championship. And we've had these back-to-back -back years for Gonzaga of Jalen Suggs, who always, yeah. I mean, just ridiculous yeah. in uh, in the 2020-21 season, mm -hmm. uh, who was backed up that year by Andrew Nemhard yeah. come in. And then he ran the show last year, and now he's gone. Yep. So Mark Few has this kind of stable of guards we're yeah. looking at this year. You've got Rasir Bolton back. You've mm -hmm. uh, got Nolan Hickman back. Hunter Salas, who came in with mm -hmm. all sorts of fanfare last year. Yep. Uh, who do you think wins out and, and is the lead guard to guide the way for this team? Yeah, that's a really great question, Isaac. And kind of, I think one of the biggest challenges that Mark Few needs to figure out, not because they don't have options, but because they have multiple options. Multiple, exactly. And, and the options are... The, all of them have have warts. None of them are perfect. Um, there are very few perfect options. That's why the fan base was very spoiled with Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nembhard, yeah, who were about yeah. as close to perfect as you were going to get. And what what Mark Few is very good at is playing these two 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 guard lineups where both guards could be primary ball handlers. And that's what they did when they played. That's what they did two years ago against you know the championship game against Baylor that season. Suggs and Nembhard played together a lot. <sighs> You go back to 2017 when they made the national championship. Nigel Williams, Goss. Yeah, yeah. Williams, Goss, and Josh Perkins both started both primary point guards. So I yeah. think they're going to do something similar this year. Uh, when they brought Bolton over from Iowa State, he was a primary point guard for the Cyclones, but they brought him over here specifically to play off the ball because he's better suited for that. And clearly he shot about 15% better from three this year. He was a very improved efficiency player. I don't think they're going to transition him back to being a primary guard. That doesn't make sense considering how good he was. So I think this battle kind of comes down to Nolan Hickman and then the new transfer from Chattanooga, who is Malachi Smith. Yes. Smith has been a primary ball handler his entire career. Uh, he reminds me a lot of a Gonzaga transfer from a few years ago, Ryan Woolridge. Woolridge came from North Texas. He was the primary ball handler for the Mean Green. Uh, he came to Gonzaga. He was still the primary ball handler, but his efficiency numbers exploded because the other team couldn't send every single player at him defensively, which is what they did when he was at North Texas. I think we're going to see something similar with Malachi Smith. I think he's going to have a little bit more freedom offensively. He's going to get much more open looks because he's not the focal point offensively. And I think he's going to really thrive. If he can do that, if Nolan Hickman can take a step forward. He kind of faded down the stretch last year, but for the most of the season, he was just basically another version of Andrew Nembhard coming off the bench, a slightly less polished version. If he can be close to that, that's a lofty goal for years. It's for a year two, but if he can be close to that and Malachi Smith can do a Ryan Woolridge type thing, uh, I think this team's going to be really, really well set at the point guard position. Man, lots of fun. A loaded backcourt. Got two quick questions, Andy, and then we can keep on going to our next yeah. segment. Number one is, that said about the backcourt, project for me Gonzaga's starting five. Yeah, this is the big question, isn't it? I, I, a lot of people have had a lot of different theories here. I think a couple things are set in stone. I think Drew Timmy very obviously set in stone uh, as the five position. I think Julian Strother is very clearly going to start. And I think Rasir Bolton is very clearly going to start. Those are three positions that are ironclad. They're going to start. After that, 
it gets a little bit murkier. <laughs> I, I would be pretty surprised if Malachi Smith did not start. He's a very, very talented kid. Uh, again, the transfer out of Chattanooga, 20 points per game last year, 42% from three. I think they're going to find a way to put him in the starting lineup. And then after that, you either start another big, in which case you have Julian Strother play the three position, which is where he played last year, or you start another guard, in which case Julian Strother transitions and plays the four position. This is very similar to what Gonzaga did, again, during that 2020-21 season when Corey Kispert was the four. Corey Kispert's not a traditional four. He's a, He was a stretch four in college. He shot 40% from three. It really helped Drew Timmy operate in the paint to not have anybody else clogging up that space. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it was a bit of a challenge from a defensive perspective. So if Gonzaga is going to go that route again, I think either Nolan Hickman or Hunter Salas will take that final starting spot. Uh, I at first was leaning Hickman pretty strongly because of the two point guard situation that would create yeah. with Hickman and Smith. But there's a part of me now that thinks it could be Hunter Salas for defensive reasons. He's a better defensive player. He doesn't yeah. need the ball in his hands to be uh, efficient on offense. That could be good with a lineup that has a bunch of other shooters on it. I think it could just kind of help them beef up defensively. Ultimately, I'm not bigger. sure it matters. And he's much bigger. Yeah, yeah he's about 6'5", yeah. uh, can jump yeah. out of the freaking gym. Uh, <laughs> very, very athletic young man. And I think he's going to be in for a really huge season. I'm not sure whether he's going to be starting or coming off the bench, but Mark Few is going to have eight or nine guys that are all going to get a fairly good chunk of minutes. This isn't even, we didn't even talk about Anton Watson, who's obviously no. going to play 18 minutes per game. We didn't talk about Efton Reed, who did not transfer from LSU to sit on the bench. So he is going to play some minutes as well. I think he's going to have a hard time playing when Drew Timmy's also playing. That's a big question mark is can those two guys play cohesively together? Because if not, that really limits how much Reed plays, but he's a young prospect. He might just be kind of biding his time and taking over a big role of next season after Drew Timmy leaves. That's great. And speaking of Drew, Timmy leaving the rest of the front court today yeah. is the 2022 NBA draft. When this episode is dropping, yeah. obviously Chet Holmgren, mm-hmm. the, the biggest question mark, if I'm a GM, I can't mm-hmm. afford to take him and I can't afford to not take him. Uh, Cause who knows? Does his body hold up? And yeah. where is Chet Holmgren going tonight? You know, it sure sounds like it's going to be Oklahoma city. Uh, again, as we're recording this, uh, a few days in advance, things could change. They may have already changed. Sure. It's hard to sure. say. Uh, Jabari Smith sounds like the guy that's going to going to Orlando with that first pick. Uh, I understand the appeal of Jabari Smith. Certainly, a six ten guy who can shoot the way that he can yeah. shoot, yeah. Uh, and he's a great defensive player. He's got some other limitations as a ball handler, but uh, all of the three bigs, Palo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, all have their weaknesses. Uh, certainly, nobody is perfect sure. in this in this class, but. Uh, I think it sounds like Oklahoma City would probably go with Chet next. I think that's a great fit, depending what else OKC does this offseason. Chet is a guy who doesn't need he, he doesn't need to be a primary ball handler. He doesn't need to have the ball in his hands a lot to be effective. That is why he was so good in Gonzaga's offense, because he didn't touch the ball a whole lot. And when you look at a team with Josh Giddy, with Shea Gillis, Alexander, like they're going to be just fine. <laughs> they're going to have, you know, he's going to be Oklahoma City. a great big, core. Wow. Right. Oklahoma City's biggest weaknesses last year were three-point shooting and uh, defense. Chet Holmgren is really, really good at both of those things. Like, you could argue that those are the two skills he's bringing to the NBA directly, and the rest of his game is probably going to develop over time. But if he can immediately shore up your two biggest areas of weakness, you kind of got to do it. Like, you got to do it. I think they're either Jabari or Chet. 
I don't think they're going with Bancaro. I think I don't think they're going with Jaden Ivey. I think they're either Jabari or Chet, whichever one doesn't go to Orlando. Or if Orlando takes Bancaro, then they're going to have themselves a decision. But I'd be pretty surprised if Chet falls below two. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that's where he's landing. Thunder. Thunder. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I. You know, we talked a little bit, Isaac, about uh, Armando Baycott returning to North Carolina. We talked a little bit about Drew Timmy returning to to Gonzaga. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because. For a lot of reasons, in previous years, those two guys would be in the NBA. Yes. 100%. The primary reason probably being that the NBA's skill sets would have better suited their skills in previous generations. They would have been more likely to be NBA players just based on the way that they skill, the way that they play, excuse me. But we also have a situation where they now have the ability to return to school. They can make more money through NIL. Uh, we're seeing situations where the college game is maybe more appealing to certain players. And I don't Absolutely. know, you know, exactly what the, what the situation was with each of these two players individually, but it's notable that they're both coming back to college and in years past, that wouldn't have been the case. I would love to hear your thoughts on, on maybe those two guys returning to school. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. I mean, when you look Andy at the top, like, uh, like Field of 68 just put out their top 25 yeah. returning players. Five of the top six are all this same mold. Yeah, uh, It's these two guys, um, Drew Timmy and Armando Baycott, Oscar Sheboy mm-hmm. at Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, and Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana. Yeah. Those are five of your top six returning players to college, uh, mm-hmm. along with Marcus Sasser at Houston was, was yeah. the other one in that mix who's obviously a guard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if, if I can't go be a first round draft pick, even though I'm incredible in the college game. And now, as you said, I can come back, be the face or a couple of the faces of college mm-hmm. basketball, make a couple million bucks right? and and enhance whatever pro status I do have, whether it's NBA or elsewhere mm-hmm. for, for next year's draft. It's almost a no brainer to me, especially for these guys, like these top three, Shibway, Timmy and Baycott coming back to three of the most prestigious programs yeah. in the country. You're on national TV or, mm-hmm. or, you know, people have the ability to see you every yep. time you touch the ball yep. in front of the biggest lights, tens of thousands of people watching and caring mm-hmm. versus going and getting stuck in the G league somewhere. Right. Yep. Like to me, uh, like unless there's just dire circumstances, which even now, no, that doesn't even make sense anymore because the dire financial circumstances right. are mitigated by NIL. Exactly. Um, but you, I mean, let's let's look at recent guys in that same mold who came out. Luca Garza mm-hmm. last year, National Player of the Year. He's he was drafted like 52nd, I think, in the 2021 yep. draft. Yep. Um, Vernon Carey the year before that, mm-hmm. obliterated people at Duke. Same mold of a player, mm-hmm. and you know, back in 90s or late 80s. He's number one overall without thinking about it. And I think Mm -hmm. he went 32nd. So higher than Luca Garza, Mm -hmm. but still a second round draft pick. Um, But uh, like you think about somebody like Zion, Mm -hmm. Um, had he gone straight to the NBA, obviously he has better NBA prospects than any of these guys we're talking about. But I just want to highlight how him staying at college impacted the exponential capability that he had to earn himself money. Yep. Remember coming into that season, he was the third rated player on his team yeah. behind RJ Barrett and um, behind Cam Reddish. Oh, um, Cam Reddish. Thank you. Yeah. And, and then Zion, I mean, it, now yeah. seeing what he did, duh, but yeah. by going, if he had gone to um, G league ignite or mm-hmm. overtime elite, nobody knows who he is. And it, mm-hmm. 
whatever. But by yeah. going to Duke and exploding the way he did, mm-hmm. I think he made himself <laughs> health pending yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars over the Absolutely. course of his career. And so I think these guys coming back, it just makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. You know, the, the, one of the few players who who I, I, is kind of in that mold, who's in this draft class with Kofi Coburn out of yeah. Illinois. And I think it'll be Great. interesting to see, like, what his year looks like compared to, like, Drew Timmy and Armando Baycott's year. And, like, I'm not going to trash anybody for choosing to go professional. That's nope. Everybody has their own reasoning. But, yep. like, more people are probably going to talk about these two guys than are necessarily going to talk about Coburn next year. Uh, depending on his situation. And that's not necessarily the only barometer you should be using. Right. Absolutely. Uh, considering you can also get paid in college, it does change that conversation significantly. Now, Isaac, one more question for you before I let you go here. Uh, yeah. Two preseason favorites right now, Gonzaga, North Carolina, <laughs> probably going to be one and two, at least one yeah. and three in the top three, top five for sure. Uh, 2017 doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it's going to be six years ago by the time that this next NCAA tournament comes up. Do you think there's going to be a rematch? Man, on paper, yes, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think, but I think the beauty of college basketball Mm -hmm. is you have your St. Peter's's (laughs) and things like that. And and as you said earlier in our conversation, Andy, it does, like it takes luck. It takes the Mm -hmm. Jalen Suck shot. It takes, um, you know, Marcus Page uh, almost hitting one of the most, or hitting one of the most miraculous shots in college basketball history, only to be outdone by Chris Jenkins 10 seconds later. Um, And... um, and so on paper, yeah, I think these are the no-brainer one and two teams mm-hmm. in the nation, especially if the Tar Heels land Pete Nance. You know, Gonzaga's yeah. coffers are full already. I don't know. Do mm-hmm. y'all have any scholarships left? No. Okay, yeah. So Gonzaga's set. Yeah. Carolina's got one scholarship left. And, um, I mean, even I think without Pete Nance, I think these are your top two teams in the nation. Yeah. And so, yeah, on paper – uh, I would love to see another run from these two teams. I wish we could see them match up in the regular season yeah. uh, so that we could get a, a Timmy Baycott matchup. I think Timmy probably holds a little bit of the offensive mm-hmm. um, plus. And then I yeah. think Baycott has a little bit of an edge on the defensive side yeah, and, sure. and in guarding in space and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to see that happen. I, I don't think we'll get it. So I'm really mm-hmm. hoping we get it in the national championship game. And so um, what's neat is both these programs have shown a capability to live up to preseason expectations when they have the, the dudes. Yeah. Um, and Gonzaga certainly has that. And um, if Carolina can prove that what happened the last third of the season wasn't just random, then mm-hmm. I think we'll see these two teams be in the top 10 all season long. I'm sure, you know, they'll take a ding here and there because that's college yeah. basketball. Um, but, uh, actually hang on. We might have something happening in real time, Andy. Oh, I'm getting a lot of texts coming in from Carolina people. Uh, Pete Nance is a Tar Heel. It happened in real time. (laughs) Yes, this is great. Okay. (laughs) So all the more so let's cement what we've just said. Yes. These are the top two teams in the nation. Uh, Pete Nance should slot right in at the four. If he can win the slot over uh, Dontre Styles and Puff Johnson, if not, mm-hmm. most capable backup in the country yeah. to Armando Baycott. Um, and so, wow. Okay. Both these rosters are now all of a sudden complete. Yeah. Andy, we got two national championship contenders on our hands here, brother. 
Absolutely. It's going to be a really, really fun season. Isaac, I'm going to let you go because you probably got to do some recording <laughs> to talk a little bit here about this Pete Nance news. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Going to be two of the best programs in the entire country next season. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's great to talk Zags and Heels. Love it. Let's do oh. it again. All right. Absolutely. Uh, we got more content coming later this week. We're going to talk about the NBA draft, of course, as it is happening tonight as you are listening to this right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and soon to be available on YouTube, or excuse me, available on YouTube as well. <laughs> Finally, thank you again for making Locked on Zags and Locked on Tar Heels your first listen of the day. Make sure to go check out the Locked on NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Doolin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock draft, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It is free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags. Hey, thanks so much for spending part of your Thursday hanging out with me, talking about why the Tar Heels are at the top of the heap in college basketball. You know it, because it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace!